What is it that you doubt? You know, doubt is, uh, is often looked upon as a terrible thing in the church, at least in the church. And it's that ugly D word that we don't talk about. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we feel that um, from time to time, big and small. And so what do we do with that? Um, very few of us are courageous enough to be completely honest about our doubts. And I'm excited to look at our passage here this morning because I think it allows us, as we've been in this series, on glimpses of Jesus, just to have this glimpse of Jesus post-resurrection, um, but to see someone who really struggled uh, with doubt. And I used to think that doubt and faith were really strange bedfellows, but I'm beginning to learn they actually go quite well together. Because I can't actually fully have faith in something until I've first doubted it. Because there's doubt is faith is not about certainty, right? There is an element of trust, which means I have to doubt something because it's not certain before I can begin to have faith in it. And it's our doubts that oftentimes lead us on the path uh, to faith. Um, there's a Portland author uh, named Tony Criz, and I heard him share something about this about the hierarchy of disciples. You ever think about the twelve disciples? There's sort of this uh, unannounced, undescribed hierarchy. Of the 12 guys, right? Probably at the top, Peter, James, and John, right? You know, the triple entente, the, the, uh, the all-star team right there. And then you got the remaining disciples who are somewhere in the middle, but of course at the bottom is Judas, right? Don't be Judas, right? So you got top three, middle, kind of, we, we may not even be able to name all of them, Judas. And who's the second worst? I'd say, well, don't be Judas, but yeah, Thomas, right? He's sort of second worst on the list, right? And so we have this hierarchy of our disciples when we look at them. Now, here's the thing. You chuckle because it's true, but no one has ever mentioned this to you. Right? We, we sort of have pegged him in church history as second worst. Right? Eleventh place among the twelve. Right? And uh, at, least I'm not, uh, at least I'm not Judas. Right? This could be Thomas's bumper sticker. Right? Uh, at least I'm not Judas. <laughs> um, when we think about the disciple Thomas, we, we definitely don't think very highly of him. Right? And Thomas has had this reputation of being a weak person, maybe shunned a little bit by the church, maybe politely, but don't be like Thomas, right? And we say that, or we think that, um, or we feel others saying that to us. And yet I think Thomas is probably one of the most misunderstood uh, persons in the New Testament, and I think probably one of the most misunderstood disciples. And after studying Thomas for quite some time over the last several years, I've come to the conclusion that Thomas is actually someone that I can deeply respect. And so we're going we're gonna to look at this. You've turned to, to John chapter 20, and uh, I'm going to read that uh, out of the, the TNIV here uh, this morning. And uh, so let's stand uh, for the reading uh, in John chapter 20. And uh, I'm going to actually start in verse 24 and go a little bit longer. So it's a little bit different than what we see on the screen. Let's start in verse 24. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and I put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And a week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. 
And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You may be seated. So, as we've done before, after reading a passage, we're going to put some uh, questions up on the screen. These are different than the questions that we have had through this series before. And so, uh, similar, but, um, but we, we've, we've tweaked them a, a tad. Um, you may, they may look a little bit familiar to you, but I want to hone in especially on the second and third question. Make it a little bit more pointed. So what I'd like for us to do, just turn, this may be new uh, for some of you who are, who are guests with us this morning, just turn to two or three people around you, and I want you to just um, begin to ask, what did you hear or see in this? And in about five minutes, we'll pull everyone back together, and we'll discuss it further with anyone who wants to share publicly, okay? So, based on the passage and these questions, just gather with people around you. Ready? Go. So, so what were some things that that stuck out with you all. And you could take it any, uh, any direction you want. And, and Ben is going to be walking around the room. I know some of you have said it's been a little bit difficult to hear, uh, which is understandable. So he's going to walk around uh, like Maury Povich, and he's going to stick the mic in front of your mouth. And uh, so, yeah, he'll bring the mic to you. And oh, and Johnny will as well. So if you want something, Johnny will be here, and, and Ben will be on this side. So um, what did you notice? What's happening in this passage that maybe you thought you knew or you thought you had noticed before, but maybe for the first time this week or this morning you were like, never saw that before. Anybody see any new things or new details that they hadn't seen before? How about this? The passage right before, starting in verse 19, which we did not read, says the disciples were together and that happened. Thomas wasn't there. Right? I mean, it's obvious, but like, I think that's an important statement. I would love to ask Thomas, like, why not? The doubt's so big, he's like, fine, I just give up. You guys can meet, I'm out. I mean, I think that's a statement of who isn't there. <laughs> right? The door's being locked, Jesus walks through the door, right? And this is sort of an interesting detail, right? I mean, he walks through the door, and yet then physically he shows them his wounds. So there's like a physical side and there's a spiritual side. I don't know how all that acts out, you know, in that passage. But Thomas wasn't there. I think that says something about the state of where he's at at this moment. I hadn't seen that in such clarity until the last few weeks of looking at this. So what else? What, what, what encourages you or inspires you by this passage? Yeah, Bob. I was kind of encouraged that uh, Thomas is much like me, huh. and he knew the other ten. Huh. And uh, the amazing thing about the scriptures is that uh, much of what Christ did was for validation. Huh. So he did signs and wonders. Hmm. Uh, the fact that he appeared to the ten and was not capable of appearing to Thomas would have really undermined, I think, the full integrity of the story. Uh, uh. The fact that it says that he appeared to many others in other places uh, shows the validation of the resurrection. Mm. It's almost like mm. a few of us getting together and saying, oh, did you know that Joe Stalin came back from the dead? No, uh, I didn't know that. No, uh, I uh, built my whole life on that. Uh, uh, 
that's not what happened here. Huh. And so the fact that Thomas asked the question and the fact that God saw fit to provide a validation hmm. for the Thomas in us and for Thomas, I think is, a, is probably one of the more important things in the whole message. Yeah, great. Was anyone else encouraged by that or inspired by that? Yeah. Yeah. What else? What else are you encouraged or inspired by this story? Yeah, over here. Yes, Liz. Steve, yeah. showed up to them and I still think they're crazy but maybe he'll show up with them again if I'm there. But which so was he really still there? That's a good question. Yeah. Is there anything that like confronts you, perplexes you, frustrates you, offends you by this? Yeah, Michael. So in, in 19 when Jesus comes to the door the other disciples don't have the chance to doubt because mm. he immediately shows them. Mm. So that's kind of like, because mm. Thomas mobilized, maybe what other people were thinking, he becomes the doubter. Yeah. But how many others, <coughs> while they were there, how many others would have doubted also? Yeah. Jesus yeah. Right, and so Peter, right, on our hierarchy, he's number one. Yet he's the one that, like, we're not sure if he's running to the empty tomb with doubt or belief, right? He's the one that denies Jesus three times, but he's number one, right? And then here's number 11 who has the courage to admit it. Well, hey, I'm going to say what probably many of you are thinking already, but he's put it 
second worst, right? Is that kind of what you're saying? Like, how did that... Yeah. Oftentimes, oftentimes, it seems as though uh, in groups of people that I'm in, a lot of people are thinking something that because I don't have the filter that they do, I'll say it. <laughs> Yeah. 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 Huh. Huh. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Who else? Yeah. Right here. Yeah. I was going to go back to the last question. Yeah. I look at Jesus and I see that he picked ordinary guys, uh, and Thomas is just an ordinary guy. And you know, Peter was an aggressive disciple. He was very aggressive. Stumbled over his feet a lot. Stumbled over his words a lot. I think Thomas was more of a realist than a doubter. Uh, I think he, in a sense, kind of was confused like everyone else, but in that confusion, he kind of felt betrayed. And if only he would remember what Jesus told him, he might have, you know, oh yeah, he's coming back. But I think in that moment, he was confused and and just defeated, betrayed, and didn't know what to do. So that was kind of his way of handling the, the death of Jesus. Yeah. Things like that. So I think when he said, you know, I gotta put my hand inside, this is a pretty crazy idea. Yeah. I think that's what alarms me because I don't like it was. But mm. right, you know, put his hand inside, and, and it's just crazy. Jesus picks ordinary people. He picked ordinary people to, to tell the world about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Take a moment. I want you to close your eyes just for a second. I just want you to engage your imagination because we can so easily put our rosy glasses on even on a story like this. Okay? But I just want you to imagine, you know, a, a political leader or someone of influence was seen as a threat in the Roman Empire. They would take him out. They would kill him. It was an assassination, planned assassination. Okay? This is the person that you've been following. Okay? And he actually told you this would happen to him. Okay? Now, when the Roman Empire takes leaders out, they also take out the followers of those leaders, starting with the closest followers to those leaders. So Jesus has been killed, and the doors are locked, and it was night, and they're fearing for their lives. What are you feeling in that moment, too? I mean, let that sink in. I don't know if anyone in this room has ever had a death threat or an implied death threat, but you might as well assume that this is an implied death threat. I mean, let that sink in. Right? Now, now I want you to open your eyes. And uh, we did this on Easter. And uh, this, this actually is one of my favorite paintings. It's by a guy named Caravaggio. He did it in 1601 and 1602. He's an Italian uh, Baroque painter. It's called the uh, incredulity of St. Thomas, or the doubt of Thomas. It's in a museum in Berlin today. I'd love to see it. Um, you know, Baroque painters in this time, when it came to religious figures, they would always put halos around their head. And you see that there's no halo around Jesus' head intentionally. Because Caravaggio wanted us to really see the human side of Jesus here. So when you look at this, what do you see? What are you feeling? Yeah. So Caravaggio is known for his play of light and dark and peace. Mm. Uh, um, 
Fascinating. Huh. Wow. Yeah, wow. Very cool. Light and dark. Yeah. What else do you see? Whether, like, you know, art appreciation or just your own field. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, that's your field. That's your background. That's incredible. But wh- do you resonate? Like, who are you in this painting? Who, who, is, who are you drawn to the most? Yes, Angela. Huh, huh, huh. Mm. Is this for real? Yeah, yeah. I love Jesus' left hand in here. Like, you can't do it on your own. Let me help you. I, I so want you to get this, Thomas. I want to do what you so morbidly requested. I want you to feel it. Yeah, yeah, Jerry. Go ahead, Johnny. Get, yeah. Huh. Huh. That it actually physically is hurting. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like a little gruesome, like the, like a flap of skin, you know? Like, sort of seeing the shadow of that skin a little bit. Like, yeah. Yeah, Jason. Hey, guys. Even though that Thomas is doing what he asked in this picture, he's still looking away. Huh. You think he's looking away? Huh. 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 Yeah, Bob. Anyone can hold him like that. Hmm. 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 Wow. I love the intensity of the other two disciples, and and almost in this sense, like how they wish they maybe were Thomas in that moment. Huh. Right. There's that intensity. Like Thomas actually got his hand in there. Like they're, they, and Michael said, they have the same doubt as Thomas, but they get to they get to experience and see what Thomas experienced that moment. Huh. Like look at his uh, his brow. You know, his eyes are huge. Look at his left hand. Like, you know, it's just like, this is intense. It's an intense moment. He didn't just, it wasn't enough for him to just look. Because if he just looked, Jesus could have been a ghost or something, you know, just a spirit. Huh. But he was actually physically there and proven by it. Huh. Wow. Hmm. Is this a moment that we all want? What do you mean? Like we're always looking for moments to like put our faith to tangible results. Hmm. Hmm. You know? And I love like the this, this, I love the disciples behind them too. In response to what Jason says, huh. I almost think that they're like back there. I'm like, see, Thomas told you, told you, you know. And mm. then they're like, they're drawing strength from like the, uh, huh. the they're just drawing strength from it too. Mm. Wow. Someone in the back. Yeah. Was that Leah? Yeah. For me, it's like Thomas is blind. Huh. Um, wow. When I think of somebody's blind, how do they see? 
I don't know. The way his eyes are focused or unfocused, I just, it seems like he needed to touch it to actually see it. I've taught on this before and I've, I've probably seen this for the last 10 years and like just the thing after looking at all this, the thing that moves me the most in this entire picture is actually Jesus' robe. His garment. Because to show someone their side means you have to like disrobe. Like Jesus, like the Savior of the world, Right? The Son of God says, I so want you to get this, Thomas. I will take my clothes off and humiliate myself so that you can actually get this. Like, that tells me something about Jesus. <laughs> you know? I was like, if you just can't trust me, I'm not going to lift my shirt up. I'm here. What more do you need? Look at me. Here are my hands. No, no, no. He, like, begins to disrobe and say, I will be vulnerable and humiliate myself so you get it. So you get it. Right? Let me show you a, a picture. Angie, you can put the modern day one. I don't know who this is, but um, somebody actually repainted Caravaggio's uh, painting to fit today. Sort of interesting, isn't it? I still like Caravaggio's way better. Um, but, you know, who knew? Like, Harry Potter got to touch Jesus. So, it's kind of... But, and we can go back to the, the Caravaggio uh, one now. But think about this. J- you know, John wrote this book. There are 21 chapters in John, and he chooses to end chapter 20, right? He's getting to the end. The thesis, right? He's got to get in his last final punch and push of what he wants to communicate about this. And he wrote it several years after this story occurred, toward the latter part of his life. John's life that he wrote this. And as several years go by, he thinks about how he's going to wrap up this entire treatise on the book of of Jesus. And he begins to close the book, and as he begins to close the book, he uses this intense story as a way of driving home the point. Now what's interesting is that when you say it says Thomas, parentheses, also called Didymus, what does your footnote say Didymus means? Twin. Thomas is a twin. We never meet his twin, but somewhere out there in the world he had a twin. It's kind of cool to think about, you know? I don't know, is it Tom and Tim? You know, Thomas and Timothy? I don't know. But Thomas's emotions were raw, as we just talked about. He's emotional. I mean, his response is morbid. I mean, like, today we would say, like, call that wrong. Like, so wrong. Right? He suffers a gruesome death, and then he says this. He wants to touch the place on somebody's body that was so horrific and gruesome. I mean, think about The Passion, the movie The Passion, and then say, like, I want to stick my finger in that dead corpse, and if you're telling me he's alive, then I want to stick my finger in that live guy in his side. I mean, who says that? I mean, that's... Whatever the line is, it's way over the line. But at least, as Michael said, Thomas was courageous enough to admit that he had doubt. He could have faked it, you know. 
And doubting Thomas, he didn't doubt in his ministry when Jesus was alive, did he? Now, I don't know if you're, any of your house churches looked at this, but in John chapter 11, there's this interaction of Lazarus. John wants to remind us, oh yeah, it was a previous guy who was dead who was raised from the dead. Named Lazarus. And he was raised from the dead. Do you know, remember Thomas's statement at the end of that time when they ta- are talking about death? Thomas turns to the other disciples in John 11 and he says this, Let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas is so sure that Jesus is the Messiah. He said, I will die with him. And then nine chapters later, he says, unless I stick my finger in his side, no freaking way. Have you ever believed that God was so real and you believed the truth so much you were willing to die for it and then later doubt everything that you believed, just like Thomas? But I love in the painting that Jesus focuses on the doubter. He didn't say, come on, Thomas, I told you. He didn't say, believe me first. You know what he said? Come and touch me. Come and touch me. And Jesus takes his clothes off. He, like, he exposes himself. When was the last time he exposed himself to his disciples, by the way? Crucifixion, but specifically with his twelve. Washing their feet. I wonder if Thomas is going, oh, the last time it was this awkward of, someone, of, of Jesus taking his clothes off was when Jesus touched me and washed my feet. Now here he is taking his clothes off again to show me, I'm here. Come, see, touch me. He's vulnerable with the doubter. He would do whatever it took to show the doubter that it was him and to bring him close to himself. And John writes this philosophical climax, the treatise of this entire book right after this story. And John believes that we need a hero, that we need someone to believe in as we follow after Jesus. And it's as if John is saying, Jesus wants to show up even in the midst of your doubt. Remember, we don't believe in information. We believe in Jesus. And John's book is intended to show us this. And despite the doubts of Thomas, God uses Thomas in a mighty way. Now, according to church tradition, after this situation happens, Thomas has a very interesting story. A story that is very inspiring for me. Now, after Jesus was raised uh, from the dead and ascended into heaven, all the disciples went west to talk about this risen Jesus. But Thomas decides to go east. He goes to India. And he, he's in India and he's trying to say, how do I like bear witness to this Jesus? And Thomas doesn't know what to do. But he's so... I just want to bear witness to this Jesus, but I don't know how. So he does something just totally unbelievable. He doesn't know what else to do, so he sells himself into slavery, saying that if I'm with a bunch of other slaves, I have opportunity to bear witness to this Jesus. So he voluntarily sells himself into slavery. 
as a way of trying to bear witness to a group of people that Jesus wanted to set free. He didn't know what to do other than to just look for opportunities to be able to talk about Jesus. And there's that one day that while he was working, he stood up before the other slaves and whoever else would listen. And he told the story of Jesus. And people believed him. They actually believed his story. And the first church of India was started. And then a little while later, he stood up in front of a group of other slaves and he told the story of Jesus and they believed him. And the second church of India was started. Thomas, doubting Thomas, was a church planter in India. The scholars say that Thomas was martyred by a tribal chief with a spear in around A.D. 72. And it's why in Christian tradition, Thomas is seen holding a carpentry, carpentry tool, a builder's square, and a spear, as you see on the slide. This is Thomas's symbol. A builder's square because he did carpentry work as a slave, and a spear because that's how he died, which I think is somewhat ironic because how did Jesus get the wound that Thomas touched? Soldiers jabbed a spear in the side of Jesus. And that's how Thomas died. A spear. I spent a month in college in Chennai, India, or Madras, which is in the southern part of India. And there they have what's called St. Thomas Mount. I don't think I put a a slide in there of St. Thomas Mount, but if you Google it, it's beautiful. It oversees an entire village, uh, a huge city of Madras. Uh, There's a beautiful view over the city, and it's there that Indian Christians commemorate Thomas and his life, of how he was solely responsible for bringing Jesus to India. And because of this, at the end of his life, Thomas had a new nickname. And his nickname was this, Didymus Ha Christo, the twin of Christ. Now, Christianity is a faith of doubters. I think when we look at this glimpse, we can begin to say, whatever your doubts are, God is bigger than them. And when Thomas sees this, and he sticks his finger in, this exposed Savior and friend and rabbi, he says... My Lord and my God. The only thing he can say is, My Lord and my God. I am, you are it. You are it. In his journey, he comes to the place where he believes. We might call him a late bloomer. <laughs> but it's here when, for the first time, he comes to the point where he believes in Jesus. I think of that story in Mark 9 where Jesus interacts with a father who's got a sick child and Jesus says, and he says, like, if, you, if it's possible, you know, and he says, all things are possible. And, and he responds by saying, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. If we're really honest, isn't that a lot of our own journey? Where we're just like, I believe, but wait, hold on. I think it's true, but I just have, I, I'm, I'm in, but wait. Right? 
mean, isn't that a lot? If we're really, really willing to be honest, isn't that a lot of our journey in faith? I'm in, yeah, wait, hold on. Yes, I, I, but this is hard. Can we acknowledge our doubts before God? Can we say, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, God? Can we acknowledge them before one another? Can we celebrate the fact that Christianity doesn't look at us and say, you doubt, get out. Imagine if every Jesus community were a safe enough environment to wrestle openly, courageously with our beliefs about Jesus. And I'm grateful that Renew is a place where many of you have said, for the first time in my life, I feel safe enough to be around other Christians where I can just wrestle through this. And I hope that is a place that we we can continue to do that. Now, I want to say this. We're not here this morning to encourage our doubts and to encourage further doubting. (laughs) But maybe, just maybe, Thomas can help us to doubt our doubts. So in verse 31, which we read, the summation of the purpose of the story included at the end of this treatise on Jesus. It says, but these things were written that you may believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus says that believing, or maybe better yet, doubting our doubts, leaves us not just to be religious, but that we would have life in his name. John says, that's the whole reason I wrote down this, all these stories in this, in this book. And he tells Thomas, in verse 27, stop doubting and believe. I've shown myself to you, and I invite you to doubt your doubts and actually lean in to now believe. You've seen it. Others haven't seen it. You've seen it. But let's, let's hope that those who haven't seen it would still believe. Now, Christianity is not threatened by our doubt. Jesus is bigger than our doubts. And it's in our doubts that take us down to the road of faith. And I ask you this question as we close. Like, what might it look like? What would have to happen in your life, even in the midst of your doubts, if you were to ever receive the nickname Didymus Ha Christo. Could we ever be the twin of Christ in our striving like Jesus? There's a God. This is the beautiful thing about the cross and what we celebrate here and we'll celebrate in a few minutes. It's a beautiful thing when the God of the universe says, I will take my clothes off and I will hold up my shirt and I will show you this is what I want you to believe. That I did this for you. That I will humiliate myself to the point just so you know how much I love you and that I can be believed. And what I'm amazed by is that if God can use someone like Thomas in the midst of a situation like that and take him to India and see the spread of the gospel in India through a dude that did that and said something so morbid, if God can use someone like Thomas, there's not a single person in this room that he can't use too. And that's the beauty and the depth of God's amazing love for us. I'm so glad he didn't look at me and say, you doubt that? Get out. That's where you're at? Get away and come back. And when you're ready to believe, then we can hang out. No. 
God's love is amazing. And though we may doubt God, make no mistake, or maybe better yet, better worded, make no doubt about it, that God absolutely believes wholeheartedly in you. And that is the joy of the good news that we celebrate as a church. Let's pray. God, we admit we are Thomas. And we admit that we also don't have enough courage to be like Thomas sometimes. And we admit that we are blown away by your love where you're willing to disrobe and make yourself so vulnerable to us so that you can see, or you can communicate to us and we can see how much you love us how you really want us to get it in the midst of our doubts. And that, God, if you can use someone like Thomas, you can use someone like us. But you long for us to get to that point where we doubt our doubts and you look at us and you say, stop doubting and believe. And God, for many of us in this room, the cry is, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, God. Maybe every one of us should get that tattooed symbolically or maybe even physically somewhere to our hearts and and bodies. I believe, but help me with my unbelief. May we acknowledge that to you and to one another to live honestly and openly knowing that Christianity can actually be a place that welcomes doubters to the table. May we be a church that appropriately strives for truth but appropriately is gracious with all of us when we wrestle to believe in faith that truth. We want to be a church that's willing to pull back our clothes and to become vulnerable to be able to say, let's journey towards the truth in this together. Thank you for modeling that. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the way that in the midst of our rebellion, and our uncertainty, and our doubts, and all that, you still said it was worth it to come to you. What an amazing, astonishing, outstanding um, uh, love that is. And we thank you. Thanks for John, and John including the story. This glimpse of Jesus, where at first Thomas didn't see a glimpse, and he not only got a glimpse, he got a touch inside the physical body of the Son of God. Something no one else ever did. So we thank you for the good news of the gospel that exists for us. The table's open for people like us, like Thomas's, where you say, touch me, and not only touch me, then eat me and drink me so that you may know. And it's with that that we pray. Amen.